somebody on the boat as well. Do you remember why we left the boat? Do you remember why we got off of the boat? Uh, <laughs> Did you call Danny? Okay, Danny, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Do you remember the time that we all went on that river boat? Yeah. What do you remember about once we, once we got inside the river boat, what do you remember? Okay. We snuck on, and as soon as you get in, it was eerie, kind of, it was eerie, mm -hmm. um, it was really quiet, and right off the bat, it seemed like, I don't know, something was looking right, it was real quiet, we're on the river, and you could start hearing things, like whispering, and you couldn't make out what it was, along the windows, on the on the back side of the boat, towards the river, um, you could see shadows go across the window, and what it was, or, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I said. I think we didn't really talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's been going on 20 years later, you know, yeah. and we're still talking about it. Maybe not 15 years, you know, we still talk about it on a regular basis of what, that was, what was so weird about that. I'm Max Kreitzer, and this is the story of the Riverboat Incident. My freshman year at KU was a bit rough. Not because of classes or relationships or money. It's because the hall we lived in at McCollum was an interdimensional realm of hell that had slipped into our mortal plane of existence. My friends Drews, Fanny, and Victor were all living in an apartment together off campus, but my parents had talked me into living into a dorm my freshman year, and I in turn talked Danny into being my roommate. Our RA was so horrified at our behavior, he left three weeks in. The replacement RA came in on a Monday and left on a Thursday, which was good because Friday was known as punch shit day. Every Friday afternoon, the little Beazelbubs would take turns running down the hall and punching out every ceiling tile they could at full speed until only black holes remained in the ceiling. The amateur pastime of pooping in the shower became a competition when someone declared their poops were always the biggest. Bullshit, some dickhead said. That was my fucking turd. Bullshit, another dickhead said. From then on, every poop in the showers came with a little toothpick and a paper flag on it with the initials of the shitter. Luckily, Danny was at his girlfriend Rachel's a lot. I felt bad for dragging Danny into this mortal hell. I would go over to Drew's for most weekends. That's the only reason I think I was able to retain the part of my soul that was human. I shan't dwell on the shittiness of the dark forces we live with, but they did things like sprayed mace in the hallway to build up their immunity, stole my bike and told me about it. They taped up the shortest guy in the dorm with a sign that said free midget. Uh, someone found out a girl on the same floor had been in a porn, so they printed out every frame of the movie 
and plastered them in sequence throughout the entire hall. One day I walked in and they were all listening to Stephen Hawking on tape talking about the universe. I knew something was up. That night, I heard someone screaming at the top of their lungs, I enter time beginning, and I heard feet go down the hallway, and then I heard the bathroom window crash. I ran to the bathroom, fearing one of them had jumped out of the window, but no, they had just ran in there and thrown our last bathroom bench into the window, breaking it. My parents visited once, and they were shocked at the state of our lobby. Did wolves get inside? My mom asked. No, I said. They didn't like how an episode of the OC ended, so they threw all their garbage everywhere. Someone poured their soup out in the water fountain, Dad said. That's barf, Dad. It was in protest to something Sandy Cohen did. They may have been the only hall in the only dorm on the only campus that didn't like Sandy Cohen. When the semester was finally over, I was happy to move back home. Things were weird, though. A lot of my friends were still in Lawrence and working, or would come back to Leavenworth to work. I was working at the theater, but for the rest of the time, I didn't know what to do with myself. I spent a lot of time wandering the train tracks by the river by myself, lamenting the childhood I would never get back after that year at McCollum, thinking about how everyone from there would probably make more money than me. I walked on the tracks remembering the times in high school when Drew's Danny, Jerry, and I tried to see how far we could get. We talked about our band and girls, and mostly girls, but one time Jerry talked about infinity until I freaked out on him. It was on a gray, dreary day when the color of the muddy Missouri matched the bleak sky that something strange happened on the river. The Missouri River is powerful near Leavenworth. Any observer can see the massive currents and the constant whirlpools that can drag huge dead logs under, never to return them to the surface. You never see anyone swimming in the Missouri, and you rarely ever see any boats on it. I've never felt a peaceful, serene aura from the Missouri River like I get from other rivers. Danny and I were on the rocks, over the guardrail, when we heard a motor humming. There was some sort of speedboat heading towards us. Danny and I stopped walking and stared at it in silence as it approached. A thought entered my head, just for an instant. A wish, almost. As the boat came into view, we saw that a man wearing sunglasses on a sunless day was driving it. But in the back, standing up and dancing to music that no one could hear, was a topless woman. They passed by us and wooed at us as if they were heading to a spring break. Even though it was not spring break, it was a Wednesday. Danny and I looked at each other, but we didn't say anything. The rocks we were walking on were somewhat submerged, and as the wave from the boat came towards us, we made our way up to the higher ground. I looked down from my footing and saw writhing black snakes in between all of the rocks. It looked as if we were stepping on stones in a sea of black tentacles. They're everywhere, Danny said, as we ran up to the hill to the concrete path. We looked towards the party girl boat far off into the distance. Had I wished that topless woman into existence, I wondered? Then I looked back at the sea of snakes between the rocks. If so, who granted that wish? And at what cost? One night after work, I wasn't ready to go home yet. I decided to walk down to the river. I hopped the gate and sat on the rocks near the dark reflecting surface. I kept hearing a strange sound. It wasn't the lapping of the water on the rocks. It was too loud, too localized. I pulled myself up back over the rails. A long line of yellow caution tape had come undone and was flapping in the breeze. Caution tape? Had someone found a cat skeleton? I obeyed the frayed tape's warning and walked cautiously down the path. 
and that's when I saw it. Its paint was chipped and faded. It listed to the right. There was a branch stuck out on the second story, but it looked glorious to me. There was a riverboat stuck on the banks of the Missouri River. Adrenaline filled my body as I started sprinting towards it. As I got closer, my adrenaline faded. Had I heard someone talking? I stepped into the grass to make a stealthy approach. And yes, I could definitely hear someone. Were they on the boat, or were they guarding it? I didn't want to find out. Not on my own, at least. I made my way back over the fence and across the street, vowing to return. I tried to call everyone. What are you doing tomorrow night? I asked. Juice was working, but Danny and Victor agreed to go with me. The next night, we pulled up and parked far away. We walked to the locked gate and hopped it. Do you guys read the Leavenworth Times? I whispered. Not waiting for an answer, I replied to myself. Front page story. This was a front page story. What did it say about the boat? Victor asked. I didn't read it. I said I just was excited because I saw it on there. When I walked by it, it was on the front page. We sat around for about 15 minutes, crouched in the grass, staring at the abandoned riverboat. I heard cops talking last night, I said. I don't see any now, though. We quietly made our way into the abandoned riverboat, silently jumping into the outside deck and diving inside as quickly as we could. There had at least been an attempt to keep up the appearance on the outside of the boat, but the inside looked like an Elks Lodge that ran out of money in the early 90s, so just a regular Elks Lodge. There was a giant cutout square in the middle of the boat where we could see the blackness of the water below. There wasn't much to the interior. It felt small. Our weight was shifting the boat. There was nowhere to sit, nothing really to see on the first floor. There were a few cabinets and wooden islands, but that was it. Sound was different inside. It was quieter. There was a small echo of lapping water, but it was muted. There were stairs heading to a second floor. I looked at Victor and nodded towards the stairs. We started making our way up, but we froze when we saw shadows grow into outlines of people on the far wall of the boat. We dove behind the wooden island, hiding ourselves from the view from the door. We stared at the shadows on the wall as they took shape. I hoped they would just pass, but then we heard the voices. It was mumbling at first. Maybe they were far away. My first thought was that it was the cops. It wouldn't be the first time we've encountered the cops at the riverfront. A few years earlier, Josh, Steven, Victor, and I had been shooting fireworks off the tracks and into the river after hours when we saw a police officer pull in. Josh and Victor bolted across the street before we even knew what was happening and hid in the sewer by Tire Town. Stephen and I dove into the bushes and flowers behind the Leavenworth Riverfront sign, trying to make ourselves small as possible. We dug our faces into the mulch. We heard the driver door open, and then we heard the back door open, and a dog jumped out. It was a fucking canine unit. I wondered if I put my two fingers up like they had taught us in D.A.R.E. class to address an officer, if he would let us go. We heard the dog getting closer to us, his sniff nearing as it made his way up the flower bed. Suddenly, the officer shouted, Get out of there! I felt Stephen move to get up, but I pushed him back down. The officers shouted something in German, and then the dog ran back into the car. He had been speaking to the dog, telling him to get out of the flowers. The dogs are often trained with German commands. We had lucked out on that one. Now back on the boat, sitting in the darkness, looking at the shadows huddled in fear, I wasn't so sure we'd be getting out of this one. The shadows on the wall of the boat behind us became sharper. The voices became clearer, but were still hard to make out. The voices were open to interpretation, but I thought I heard, what are you doing here? My stomach dropped. They must have seen us jump on. I felt sick. I felt like I was gonna get Victor and Danny in trouble. Who's there? I thought I heard another voice say, maybe with some sort of accent. Danny and I have been friends since preschool. I've never heard Danny cuss, and I've never seen him drink. I've seen him mad only a handful of times, and this is one of those times. 
This is your fault, Danny said. I looked at Victor, who nodded his head in adamant agreement. I felt like shit. I felt like the time I invited everyone to the Renaissance Festival and said I'd buy their tickets, but I didn't have any cash. That happened just this year, and that's, that's how I felt. The voices continued, but they were now drowned out by barking. Oh, great. The canine unit was back to finally claim me. I'll go, I whispered. I'll go and I'll, just, I'll say it's me, and you guys stay hidden, no matter what. I was hoping they'd say no or protest or something, but I hopped up and walked out of the riverboat, with one hand making the two-finger sign from Dare, and the others covering my balls because, in movies, police dogs always go for the balls. I walked out onto the deck and looked into the darkness. There was no one there. Absolutely no one. I looked back at the riverboat. The moon was on the other side of it. There were lights along the sidewalk, but they were yellow and pointed down. I stood there for a minute, confused. I thought I had heard dogs, talking, voices. Victor thought he had seen a light. But now there was nothing there. Nobody, not even off in the distance. The night was still. Guys, I said. Guys, let's go. Nobody came out. I stood there, looking around. I felt swallowed. Danny, Vic, I called. The shock that no one was outside was so disarming to me. I wondered how long I had been standing there. Maybe Danny and Victor weren't in there anymore. Maybe they hopped off when I snuck out, went down another way. I stood there looking into the blackness of the entryway for what felt like forever. Finally, as I started making my way up the rocks, I saw the reflection of the dull lights on Danny's glasses in the doorway. He came out slowly. Victor followed behind him. We all walked together for a bit, not talking. I don't remember who started it, but suddenly we were all sprinting towards the car. We jumped in and tore off. We didn't talk about the voices that night. We didn't speak of the shadows or the dogs or the riverboat. We haven't spoken about it for years. <laughs> 